Hey, I'm glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series. Of, um, we're dealing with the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your tablets or if you have your phones and you want to turn to Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 1 and we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 today. Our topic is pretty interesting because today we're talking about how do you get through difficult times. And most of us understand what difficult times are and how that works and we have problems And so we're going to talk about what Paul did as a model for us to get through difficult times. It's sort of, um, it's it's like uh, inspiration. When you see somebody do something, it's inspirational. And so LeBron James talks a lot about his inspiration for being the basketball player he is today is Michael Jordan. He watched Michael Jordan. And as a pastor, pastors watch other pastors. And there's a pastor, T.D. Jakes. Does anybody know who T.D. Jakes is? And as a pastor, I watch T.D. Jakes, and he, you know, says stuff, and the Lord said, and I don't do that, but it's inspirational to me, because I would last about two minutes on my voice, but man, I can preach. And our worship team, man, they were great today, it was great, I mean, I heard one whoop, and, and it was true, they were really good today, and what you don't know, there's a secret sauce to our worship team, you don't know this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to kind of get behind the curtain today. I'm going to show you something. Every week, we get here and they, they practice. They practice on Thursdays and then they come back. And sort of as a pep talk to themselves, as sort of inspiration, they watch kind of the greatest worship song in the history of worship songs to get them motivated for worship. And I, I want to show you this because you'll, you'll understand what you see Was that enough? (laughs) 
Lot is applauded for cutting it off. Uh, I mean, that's really, really bad. Okay. All right. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. Uh, too many people think, oh gosh, my voice changed. Uh, too many people think, it's the, it's the video, I'm so excited. Um, too many people think that if, if I just could eliminate this problem or if I had more of this, you know, there are people who think if they just had a mate, they would be happy, that, that would bring them joy. And there are people that think if I could just get rid of my mate, uh, that would make me happy. And if I had more money, uh, that would make me happy. If I had more stuff, if this particular situation was different, then I would be full of joy. The problem is this. Um, th- there is no problem-free life. And so if you're going to have joy, you've got to learn how do you have joy in the midst of the problem or problems. Because we all have them. And different seasons prove to be difficult. In, in Ecclesiastes it talks about there's a season for this and a season for that. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to you know, cast stones and a time to gather stones. And, and there's a principle to life in that text that some seasons you're up and some seasons you're down. And it's not so much about the season in life. It's about how you deal in the down times. Now, if God were here today, I think he would say to you, listen, the reason difficulties happen in your life is so that you can develop spiritual muscles, that you can not be a spoiled brat. I mean, if you've been around a child who gets everything they want, they're annoying because they're accustomed to getting everything they want. And it's good for us to sometimes not get everything and not to always have the situation perfect. In fact, the big idea for the day is we can have joy in spite of our situation in life. You don't have to have everything line up just your way for you to have joy. Because joy is internal. Here's what we do in America. We find something to entertain us or to... We we divert our attention from our problems. And it could be... I mean, there's a million different ways. Movies. People go to a movie. And they watch La La Land, or they go to a chick flick like Hacksaw Ridge. And, uh, and they, uh, for, for two hours, you know, you do Star Wars or whatever, and for two hours or so, you forget about your boss and your bills and all your problems. And, or, or we go shopping. Ladies go shopping, they'll go to the mall, and they'll shop. And guys go to Home Depot. And, and it's the same thing. It's, it's, that's our mall. And, and you know, you'll buy a pair of shoes or we'll buy, you know, a table saw, but it doesn't matter. But it all, the, the, the principle's the same. And we go and for a while we go and we, we feel like this will make us happy. And we buy something and for a moment we're happy. But when we have to pay for it or a little later on or when the fashions change or even by the time you get it home, you've lost that little adrenaline rush uh, of happiness because joy... Is deeper than happiness. And, and Paul is, he's amazing. I'm going to give you the backstory here. Now, we've talked about this. Philippians is a letter written by the founding pastor who has moved on and he writes back to this church. Now, what you have to understand is when he writes this letter, he's in one of those down seasons. For two years, he'd been in a town called Caesarea and he had been in jail. He 
didn't feel like the process was moving along very quickly. I mean, if you're two years waiting for a trial, that's a long time. And so he was jailed on a trumped-up charge. There was really no reason for him to be in jail. And after a while, he appealed, as any Roman citizen could, he appealed to Caesar. Now, this was sort of a last resort. I'm going to uh, exhaust all of my options here. My, my last option is I'm, I'm getting no justice the way it is. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Now, the problem with appealing to Caesar is Caesar wasn't known to be kind, to have an affection at all toward Christians. But it, it's like a Hail Mary pass. You're just kind of doing it because you think this is what you should do because really you're not getting any justice any other way. It would be like us appealing to the Supreme Court. Uh, and so he appeals to Caesar. And, and they say, okay, well then to Caesar you shall go. Now he's in a town, like I say, called Caesarea. The Caesar is in Rome, and he has to go to Rome. Now, on the, the ship, they traveled in this particular case by ship from Caesarea to Rome. While he's on the ship, the ship sinks. There's a storm. I mean, you talk about, you, there, there used to be a hee-haw song, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. This is Paul. I mean, this was his season. He was in the, I, if, I, if, I, if it weren't for bad luck, there would be no luck, because I am having no luck. He's going, because he's on a trumped-up charge from Caesarea to Rome, and on the ship, the ship experiences a storm, and the ship sinks. And he swims to shore. He, he goes to this island called Malta. Malta. While he's on the island, I mean, it's like, it is almost a comedy of, of how horrible this thing is. He gets shipwrecked. He's at the fire because it's a cool day. It's in the winter. He puts some wood on the fire, and inside the wood there was a serpent, uh, a poisonous snake, that bit him. Okay, it, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm really not a big fan of snakes. I don't like snakes. When I was in Michigan, you know how the snakes were this big, if, if you ever saw one. Here in South Carolina, you got cotton mouths and water moccasins and rattlesnakes and anacondas and pythons. I mean, you got it all here. The whole array of snakes. Every snake ever known is in South Carolina, evidently. I'm, I'm hiking and I'm looking for snakes because that's all I do now. Is I, I don't ever get to enjoy the scenery because I'm afraid of stepping on a snake. Anyway, so Paul is bitten by this poisonous snake. I mean, it goes from bad to worse to worse yet. And he eventually makes it to, to Rome. Now, you th th this is really bad. And he gets to Rome. And something that you might not know about is when he gets to Rome, he's under 24-hour surveillance. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day, 24 hours a day. And they had a, um, a low-tech system of making sure a prisoner didn't escape. Today we have those little ankle things you put on, from what I understand, uh, and they kind of keep track of you. They had the same thing. Uh, it was an ankle thing that they chained to another person. So every hour of every day, Paul was chained to a Roman guard. You talk about lack of privacy. There are things I like to do by myself, if you know where I'm going with this, that Paul didn't have that luxury. Because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year, without a break, he was chained 
to a Roman guard. Now, in the midst of this situation, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, after a shipwreck, after being bitten by a a poisonous snake, he gets to Rome, 24-hour-a-day surveillance, chained to a guard. He writes, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. i got to tell you, if the situation were reversed and I was in Paul's shoes, these wouldn't be the first words I would write. This is why it's so remarkable that he looks at his situation and he's able to say, I rejoice and will continue to rejoice. That's why it makes sense for us today to kind of look at what he did. And this is going to take a couple of weeks And so we're going to look at a couple of things today and a couple of things next week of how you can have joy in the midst of your problems. The first thing is this. First thing is this. I've got to gain a proper perspective on my problems. I have to gain a proper perspective. Perspective is everything. We lived in Michigan for about eight eight winters in Michigan. Eight winters in Michigan. Um, The town I lived in was Muskegon. Muskegon would receive about 113 inches of snow a year. That's about 112 inches more than you receive a year. So, uh, lots more snow. Now, we moved there in the summer. So, we didn't know really how much it snowed. And then in, the, in about <laughs> October, it snows a little bit. Uh, around Halloween, you kind of start getting it. And then November, it kind of snows. And then in December, it snows until June. Uh, it's kind of how that works. There's just snowing all the time. Now... I'm, I'm watching the local news, and the news weatherman said something I'd never heard before in my life. I'm from Kentucky. Remember, I'm from Kentucky. I lived in New Mexico for a while. I've lived in Texas. I lived in Missouri. Never lived up north with Yankees. And so uh, uh, the weatherman says to, to us, uh, expect 6 to 12 inches of snow overnight and another 12 inches tomorrow. And I'm like, Shut up. I mean, that's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We're not in Alaska. Uh, you know, I was like, that, that's, that can't be true. Okay, so I wake up the next morning to 12 inches of snow on my driveway. All right, now, I had a snow shovel that would, it was about this big. Uh, you know, 12 inches of snow with a snow shovel this big is not good. So, but you have to shovel it. You can't go anywhere unless you shovel the snow. So I get out there, I'm shoveling the snow. And I look over to my neighbor's house. And he has this magical machine that blows snow. It it was awesome. I mean, it's like a lawnmower for snow. And he's blowing it like a million miles. It was unreal. It was going up in the air. And it it looked like it was heaven. Now, southern people... We help each other. That's what we do as neighbors. And so I'm shoveling, and I'm doing a lot of this, you know, kind of putting on a little bit. I feigned a heart attack, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I did one of these and laid down for a minute. Oh, it would be on this side? I can't remember. Uh, I did this because I didn't know. Hoping my neighbor would notice because he had a machine that blows snow, and I had a shovel this big. You know what he did? He went in the house and took his snowblower with him. Now, 
I got my, I got my driveway shoveled that day, but I determined I was going to buy myself a snowblower. They have so many of them, people are selling them on the side of the road. I mean, it was, it, it was like boiled peanuts here. I, I mean, you could buy a snowblower everywhere. It was unreal. They were everywhere. So I'm driving to work, and this guy has a snowblower for sale, $100 for a snowblower. Apart from my marriage license, it's the best money I ever spent. I, I mean to tell you, $100. So I get my snowblower home, and I start blowing snow. Now, all of a sudden, the weatherman says 6 to 12 inches, and I say mentally, is that all? I'm not even sure I'm going to get the blower out for 6 inches. I mean, it's hardly enough. So you go from perspective-wise to not having a snowblower, then snow is bad, to having a snowblower, and now snow is not intimidating anymore. It's all a matter of perspective. And so you have to have the right perspective on your problems. Now, the truth of the matter is, your problem isn't the issue. It's how you're looking at the problem. That's the issue. Yeah, we, look, you've got problems. Welcome to the human race, because we all have problems. So Paul has these problems. I mean, he's got big problems. You're, you remember, we just talked about the problems he's got. He's in a season of down. He's in a down season. And he writes this. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything, everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Well, now that's a different perspective. Because it's not about himself. Everything that's happened has been okay. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Well, sure they do. Because they're chained to you every hour of every day. You know, perspective is just like good news, bad news stories. It's all about perspective. You've heard those jokes. Uh, I've got good news and bad news. Like the lawyer who went to the guy and said, I've got good news and bad news. And he said, well, what, what's the deal? Said, well, your blood test came back and it, it was your blood at the, at the scene. That's the bad news. The good news is your cholesterol is 120. I, I mean, it's, kinda, it's all about perspective, right? So this is about perspective. And Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. There's, Paul was a strategic thinker, as is God, by the way. And Paul wanted to go to Rome because he knew, you've heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome. You've heard that, right? Well, if all roads lead there, then all roads lead away from there. And if you could win Rome, if Rome could be one for Christ, that message would literally permeate much of the known world. Rome was the hub of civilization. People from just... Diverse cultures would come there. Uh, people from all over the planet, basically, as, much, as best they could, would get to Rome. I mean, the known world, the, the, the civilized world, there, were, there was no better strategic place than to start planting a church than in Rome. Paul wanted to go to Rome. Now, I suspect what he wanted to do was have a crusade, like Billy Graham, you know, set up a crusade, a big tent. Or he could preach in the Colosseum to tens of thousands of people. That was his notion. This was his idea. It was a good idea. I want to go to Rome to win Rome. Well, he got to Rome. It's just not the way he had hoped 
to get to Rome. Nero paid for it. It's interesting. He got there and he didn't even have to pay. Of course, he's in chains. And instead of preaching in Colosseums, he couldn't get out, so he wrote the New Testament. See how that works? What, what seemed like this horrible thing, being chained up, then eventually leads to him writing much of the New Testament. And what you didn't know, maybe don't know about those Roman guards, those Roman guards, they, they were the future leaders of Rome. You would serve, they were handpicked by the Caesar, they served for 12 years in the military, and once they got out of the military, they became the leaders of the nation. They, this, this was, if there was an audience more strategic to winning the world for the gospel, there would have been none. That, that is the most strategic audience. The, the future leaders of Rome. They were the best played, paid people in the country. And, four hour, and during four-hour shifts, they were chained to Paul. Think about the strategy of that in God's mind. The future leaders of Rome got to listen to Paul for four hours a day, every day. They would have direct access to the Caesar. By the way, Nero, uh, history tells us that Nero's wife, his mother, and several of of his children became Christians. And many people believe it's because Paul won some of these guards to Christ who then talked to the family. It is somewhat... Amazing. Paul had a captive audience with the future leaders of Rome. And so he says, everything that's happened here has helped spread the good news. Yeah. Wasn't his plan. It was God's plan. It it is remarkable what God will do in bad situations. You know the old southern expression, making a silk's purse out of a sow's ear. God has this ability to do that. In Romans it says, and Paul wrote this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. The the question becomes, do I really believe this? Because this is a cool bumper sticker verse, and maybe you get it tattooed on your bicep. I believe in all things God works together. I mean, we we sort of, we, we like the notion of this. The question is, do we really believe it? Do I think even in my sickness, God is working all things together for good. Do I believe that in my relationship issues, God is working all things together for good? Do I believe with the boss that is the worst boss in the history of bosses, in my job situation right now, that God is somehow working all things together for good? That's the question. Do I trust the creator of the universe knows what he's doing by allowing me to go through these situations? That's the question. Do I believe it? Do I trust that he's working even this mess that I'm walking through right now, this season that I'm living through right now, can he redeem this mess? That's the question you have to ask and answer for yourself. Because the lesson is this. God has a purpose behind every problem. Every one of my problems, God has a purpose. And then he writes this. Then he writes this. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and speak boldly God's message without fear. Here's what happens. 
If you see somebody doing it, you're not just encouraged, you're emboldened. Marie Osmond lost 50 pounds on Nutrisystem. You know who they don't put on Nutrisystem ads? The person that loses seven pounds in a month and then gains it back on Saturday. Uh, nobody has, that guy has never made it on one of these ads. But the, this is incredibly effective because somebody that you kind of know, she's a little bit country. Her brother's a little bit rock and roll. Remember the day? Anybody know that? I'm a little bit country. You remember that? That's Marie right there. She's a little bit country. She was a little overweight. Now she's a little bit skinny. And, 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 and the, it's encouraging. And Paul was saying, look, I got through this stuff. I'm going through these issues. I rejoice and I continue to rejoice. Even though stuff isn't going my way, the dominoes aren't falling for me, or so it seems. Yet I trust, Paul was saying, I trust that in all things, that in all things, even bad things, all things, not just good things, I believe that in everything, God is working together for the good of me, of those who love the Lord. He had a confidence. He had a, he had a belief that this were true. So when enjoying life is about the proper perspective, it's also about having the right priorities. Enjoying life is also about having the right priorities. Now look at what he says. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in my chains. While I'm in chains. All right. As if I'm not in enough trouble, there are some miscreants out there who are, are, are they're stirring it up. They're, they're full of mischief. They're doing things to make it harder for him. Now, you talk about kicking a man while he's down. Good grief. They are basically saying, it's not enough that you're in chains and that have, you've been shipwrecked and bitten and you're, you're chained to a guy 24 hours a day. We, we'd like it to be worse. And if you want to steal somebody's joy, criticize them. Because I can tell you the truth, I hate criticism. I, I despise being criticized. And, and Paul here shows us what it looks like for a man of God to accept and deal with criticism. Let me tell you a story. My, my first... My second place I pastored in New Mexico. God blessed us with growth, and we were seeing people come, and it was kind of doubled in size. And I had one deacon who didn't like me. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, the more I think about it, it's like, what was his deal? Uh, he didn't like my approach. And so here we are having, it's a town, not large, and there were people coming, and it was sort of amazing, and God was doing some good stuff. And he didn't like that I didn't wear a suit and tie. He didn't like that. And, and at least he came and told me, hey, I don't like that you don't wear a suit and tie. And so we had that conversation. 
And then he had that conversation with everybody that would listen. Fortunately, he had it with me first. I mean, that's kind of fair. And then he would have it with everybody. This is what this was his practice. He would show up at church and teach his Sunday school class. And then he would greet at the door. And then he would refuse to go into the service because he didn't want to hear me preach. And he let everybody know it. Now, let me tell you how I responded. I was a passive-aggressive jerk. I would say stuff like, can you believe oh so-and-so's doing that? Just, let's not do anything about it, but can you believe it? Like, like a gossip. I mean, just, I'm ashamed. I look back at that. In life, <laughs> you don't, you, look, we don't need to live with regret. I, but I, re, I regret the way I handled that. Because I, I just was, I was just, he was horrible, and so was I. I, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't handle it well. Here, here you have Paul who shows us how a man handles this, how a man of God would handle this. These people, supposing they can stir up trouble for me, and look at what he says, look at what he says. What does it matter? So what? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. What does it matter? So what? So they're talking bad about me. So he's not doing it the way I think he ought to do it. What does it matter? How many arguments, how many things do we allow uh, to keep us up at night that really we should just simply say about these things? Mm, What does it matter? So... So what? So what? How many arguments with our spouse do we get into? How many arguments with our kids do we allow to linger? When we should simply probably say on many of those, what does it matter? What does it matter? In Proverbs it says, remember the Lord in everything you do and he will show you the right way. Remember the Lord in everything you do. The lesson is this. Focus on what, what really counts. Just focus on the stuff that counts. I want to end with a story. This is a guy named Jerry Sitzer. He was driving his car back in 1991, a long time ago. He had his four kids, his wife and his mother in the vehicle at the time. A drunk driver crossed the center lane, collided with his van. Jerry lived through this, as did three of his children. But his wife and his four-year-old son and his mother perished in this accident. He wrote a book about it called Grace Revealed. And in this book, he talks about his son David, who's sort of a thinker, little guy. David would think about this and all that had happened and Jerry writes about this in a way, this kid was a thinker, but when he wanted to talk, you had to be ready to talk. He, he didn't talk a lot, but when he wanted to talk about it, you needed to be ready to talk about it. 
And so one day they're driving to a soccer match. And David says to his dad, Jerry, do you think mom sees us right now? Now, that's a good question. And so Jerry said, I don't know, David. I think maybe she does. Why do you ask? And he said, I don't see how she could. I thought heaven was full of happiness. How could she stand to see us all so sad? This is how he responds. I think she does see us. But she sees the whole story, including how it turns out, which is beautiful to her. It's going to be a good story. And then he said, I'd not hazard to estimate the number of times I've been asked, how does Christianity address the problem of suffering? The Christian answer to suffering is Christ's suffering, but also Christ's resurrection. God knows pain, and he also knows joy. And he knows the whole story at once, including how it will come out. And it's a good story. We have the proper perspective. And we have the right priorities. Then we can write, and we can say, and we can believe that I rejoice and will continue to rejoice, even in difficult circumstances. This is possible for us. It's not a myth, not a theory. There was a guy who was chained 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to a Roman guard who wrote, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. We've seen that it can be done. And I hope you're encouraged by it. He, he writes a little more on this topic, and if you come back next week, you can, you can hear the rest of this. After the service is over, um, we're going to pull up some chairs. I'm going to give you a little, uh, I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But if you want to pray with me, I'm going to hang out right over there. It's something I do every week. If you need somebody to pray with you or for you, I'd love to do that. If you have any questions or you want to just chat, I'm going to be right there. I'd love to meet you if it's your first time. I can hang out. I'm going to hang out over there, and you can come say hey to me. That'd be great. But, man, God gives us this ability, and we can do it. And I want you to be encouraged that you can do it. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to be encouraged even in difficult, problematic times. And Lord, help us to have a perspective on life that makes sense. That is true and real and honest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.